I invite you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We'll be reading together in just a few moments from Psalm 116. And I would love it if you would have a Bible open and be ready to follow along with us this evening. Thank you for being here. I hope that you've had a good day. Obviously, there are are some days that are are very, very hard, and uh, it is a hard evening in the the life of this church family because uh, you are our family, and even those uh, of you who are guests this evening, uh, like I am, if you are a Christian, uh, we're talking about the the hearts of brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, you never get used to hearing news like uh, was shared this evening. But I hope that our time together in God's Word will be a comfort to you, but also uh, a catalyst, hopefully, in the lives of all of us uh, to make the most of our time, to make the most of our relationships uh, in Interesting ways, really, it is maybe the most appropriate lesson that we have all week long for uh, the, the sort of trials that people you love are, are going through this evening. I'd really just like to talk with you in very basic terms this evening about Jesus' invitation and our opportunity to pray. This might be the most basic lesson that we are engaged in all week long, but I need lessons like this. I need reminders like this. And I'm guessing I'm I'm not the only one in the audience this evening. It is far, far, far too easy for me to go an entire day without praying. To wake up, uh, the alarm clock goes off, and, and as soon as the alarm clock goes off, I immediately start thinking about all of the things that I have to do throughout the day, and it's a whirlwind as I and everybody else in my house are, are getting ready to tackle the day, and then it is all too easy to fill my commute with some sort of noise, and then I hit the ground running and one thing after another after another and uh, before I blink and turn around twice, it's lunchtime and a lot of times that's with someone or on the run doing something uh, at the same time as I'm eating and then back to work and before I know it, I, th- th- it's time to go home and I haven't gotten everything done that I would have liked to have gotten done and then there's more noise on the commute home and there's plenty of noise at home and various things to do and I had hoped to get my grass mowed before I came here because it's a little warmer there than here but I I didn't get it and so as soon as I get home I I need to mow my grass and and you get the idea there's laundry and there's things to fix and and there's phone calls to make and people to get back to and maybe a little bit of television, a little bit of something to, to settle your mind at the end of the day, and then you lay down exhausted. Maybe you think about praying, but you fall asleep while you're praying, and, and then the alarm clock goes off the next morning. 
You ever had a day like that? A, a stretch of days like that where it is all too easy not to pray. And I would just really encourage you this evening to view this as a, a call to pray, a, a reminder to pray, an encouragement to pray, maybe an explanation as to why that is never wasted time or effort. And if, if you, like me, find it all too easy to neglect this incredible blessing, could I encourage you to take the next 35, 40 minutes as a, a personal challenge to pray? If your Bible is open there to Psalm 116, there are, are so many sections of the Psalms that are like this that, that remind us in powerful, powerful terms. Psalm 116 Verses 1 and 2 is just one example. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. In many ways, we could just stop right there. And that is a, a message worth carrying home with us for the rest of the evening and the rest of the week and, and the rest of our lives. We're talking about the great I am, even that we sung about this evening. The one who has always been, the one who is, the one who always will be, the one who knows everything, the one who is everywhere, the one who can do anything. And yet here is the psalmist saying, I, I love the Lord and... It's not simply because he created me. It's not simply because he gave me time or, or, or put me on this incredible planet that is perfectly suited for life over the course of thousands and thousands of years, untold numbers of generations. He makes the sun to rise. He makes the stars to shine. He, he makes the, the spring flowers to bloom. There are so many reasons why we as the created should say, I love the Lord. But, but here's one powerful reason. It's because he has ears. And he is willing to incline. His ears to his children. You ever thought about that? My, my daughters are, are past the age now, but I, I, I very, very well remember those times when they were much shorter and maybe there was some existing conversation going on and, and they would come and, and maybe they would tug on the side of my pants or they would pat on, on their mother's leg and, and they would say, you know, just as surely as I know, they would say, mom, mom, mom. Mom, mom. And as long as maybe they were ignored, unless that was put a stop to, they would keep saying that, right? Dad, dad, dad. 
And sometimes dad is, is preoccupied and sometimes mom is busy. But this is the idea of a very human sort of relatable figure that God has an ear and he is never so preoccupied, never too busy to incline that ear. To, to, in a sense, bend down and listen specifically to the call of a son or a daughter. He hears my voice, the psalmist says. He hears my pleas for mercy. I know that, that the vast majority of us in this room, we... We're intellectually aware of things like that, right? We've, we've heard things like that many, many times. But if you're like me, sometimes I just need to slow down long enough to read a verse or two and to think, to challenge myself. Why don't I pray more if that is true? Do I believe God is telling me the truth? I absolutely believe that he is. And if he is why, why don't I pray more? Especially when the very Son of God has opened up that opportunity and invited me in such beautifully powerful terms. To pray. We'll, we'll hear from him in just a moment. On our way there, open with me to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Actually, just a little before where we are in the Psalms. Nehemiah chapter 1. Well, what if we treated this evening? What if, if tonight in many ways was a, a kind of a turning point in your life? If you realize that you're not praying the way that you not just should, but you're, you're invited to. What if this evening we devoted a little bit of time to serious, intentional, fervent commitment to prayer in a season of heavy things? I, I don't know how you have described the last couple of years, but... I, I have found myself at times groping for words and, and the word that just seems to be the most appropriate in recent years is, is heavy. It's been a heavy couple of years. Heavy things going on in the world, heavy things going on in, in our nation, heavy things going on in our, our local communities, perhaps heavy things in the lives of our church family. It's a, a heavy night in the life of, of this church family. Maybe it's a, a heavy night in your home or in your own individual life. But I really challenge you to, to see this evening that this invitation and our opportunity to pray is the, the door that we need and the fuel that we need not to deal with that heaviness that is all around us in the way that the world so often does. Things get difficult and, and sometimes people run. 
They, they abandon their posts. They leave their families. They walk away from their marriages. Sometimes things get heavy and, and people sink. They just give themselves over to what God calls clearly impure. And, and they, they, they seek just to drown themselves, revel in, because it promises to make them feel better, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, Illicit physical relationships, whatever it is, what God describes as out of bounds. But, but this seems to be my only way of escaping from the heaviness. Or, or, or things get heavy and sometimes people just lash out. They, they turn over their, their frustrations and their disappointments and their anxieties into a weapon that's used against other people. Maybe even the people who are close to them. Maybe Maybe things get heavy and they just stop. They stop following Jesus. They stop walking by the Spirit. They stop serving as a member of, of Christ's body. But this is the way not to do that. This is the fuel not to do that. Because we know we, we, we've got enough documented in Scripture. We've got enough documented in real lives all around us. Maybe even seasons of our own past where we know the answer isn't to run or to sink or to lash out or, or just to stop. No, the answer is to take God up on His Word. If your Bible is open there to Nehemiah chapter 1, if time allowed, we could document how this was a, a heavy time in the life of the children of Israel. Nehemiah, he's a descendant of Abraham, but he's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where his people were blessed to live for a long time. He's, he's with his fellow countrymen in exile, and he's a, a servant of a great man, but he has no reason whatsoever to believe anytime soon he's going to be able to go back home. And he hears word that the precious city of Jerusalem to his people, that walled city where the, the temple that we talked about on Monday night resided. And, and it wasn't just a magnificent building. It was God's dwelling place among his people. Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem has been leveled. The temple is gone. The walls are torn down. No more gates. It's a heavy time. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Well, that's where we started in Psalm 116. I want you to notice especially how that passage begins. As soon as I heard these words, 
I don't know about you, but I haven't yet developed and strengthened enough of a knee-jerk reaction to pray. Now, it's really easy for me to knee-jerk react in selfish directions, right? Very natural, very easy for me to knee-jerk react in, in some sort of a vengeful direction. You hurt me, so I'm going to find it very easy to hurt you worse. You said something ugly to me. I'm going to say something uglier to you. You cut me off in traffic, and so I'm, I'm going to make life somehow, some way down the road, a little more uncomfortable for you. That comes naturally to most of us, right? But what this man is demonstrating is a knee-jerk reaction Look at the next chapter, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. The king can tell that something is wrong with, with Nehemiah. Something heavy is on his mind. And a, a golden opportunity presents itself. Where in Nehemiah 2 and verse 4, the king says, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I don't know about you, but it's far too easy for me when I see an open door of opportunity just to say whatever comes to mind. You're, you're, you're asking me, well, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. Maybe I make a mess of things and then I'll think about praying once I've made a mess. But, but you, you know, it, it's just very easy and very naturally comes to most of us. Just to rely on our own wit and our own wisdom. What you see in the life of this man is at pivotal moments, even before he opens his mouth, he prays. And, and so clearly it's not that, uh, well, he, he asks the king for a few minutes to go over into a side room and he's going to make sure to bow his head and close his eyes. Absolutely, we need to be reverent when we're talking to God. But even here, as you read the passage, it's the king asks me a really important question and before anything comes out of my mouth, in my mind, I'm, I'm seeking God's help. God, help me to answer with wisdom. Strengthen me. Help me in this moment. A few pages over in Nehemiah chapter 6. You look at the ninth verse of the chapter. There were heavy circumstances created by the people around Nehemiah. There were people who wanted to make life difficult for him. And in Nehemiah 6 verse 9. He documents for us. They, they all wanted to frighten us. Thinking their hands will drop from the work. And it will not be done. So what do you do when people are intentionally making your life difficult? Well, here's what Nehemiah did. He prayed. He, he couldn't stop those people from being pests, discouragements to him. But he could pray for more strength from God. He, he could rely on. Even more on God. And not just in theory, but God, I need more of your strength right here and right now. And I believe that you're here, and so I'm going to pray for it. At the very end of Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 31. What beautiful words to cap off a book full of real work, real life circumstances, real challenges. But through it all, from beginning to end, are just simple, straightforward prayers. Nehemiah 13, 31. Remember me, O God, for good. Now that's powerful, all, all on its own. But I want you now to go with me to the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. How much more? I mean, we've looked at, at the Psalms, and that's a, a beautiful song that Israel would be taught to sing. And we've looked at a, a, an Old Testament example, and, and that can be inspiring all on its own. But then when we put the pivotal piece that connects all the way to me and to you, and that's Jesus. And what Jesus teaches us to do, challenges us to do, invites us to do, beginning in Matthew chapter 11. Could I just draw out a couple of really basic points that I hope you'll take home with you this evening. And the first is this. Distress isn't a disqualification. Distress is an opportunity. That distress can take a variety of different forms, right? Fear. Fear isn't a disqualification. Despair isn't a disqualification. Discouragement isn't a disqualification. Uncertainty isn't a disqualification. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 11 verse 28. It's an opportunity. Verse 28. Come to me. In many ways, isn't that where we started in Psalm 116? The Lord hears my voice. The Lord is, is willing to incline his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Here is God in the flesh. With eyes that look in the eyes of distressed human beings. And he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, can I trust him? Well, what am I going to experience if I do trust him? As far as I can tell, we've got four gospels. I think it's 89 chapters. Between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of all of those chapters, all of the things we ever hear Jesus saying, this is the one time, as far as I can tell, he ever in his own words tells us about his own heart. He can see the hearts of other people perfectly. He diagnoses very serious heart problems. We've noticed that over the course of the last couple of days in various ways. Here is where he tells us about his heart. I am gentle and lowly. You come to me. You take my yoke upon you. You, you, you begin walking with me. You allow me to set the pace. You turn away from sin. And, and you do what I'm telling you to do. 
And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now there are a lot of things involved in that. But one of them unmistakably is taking him up on the invitation to pray. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, he told a famous parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So I don't know what you've gone through today. I don't know what sort of a week this has been for you or a season, a couple of years. This has been for you. But here's what I know. Whatever it is that's on your heart, it is not too heavy for Jesus. Whatever it is that is on your heart, it, it, it is not so distressing that, well, you bring it to him and he's like, we're going to have to take this somewhere else. We're going to have to go up the chain somehow. We're going to have to find somebody who knows how to deal with this because you've stumped me. No. Distress isn't a disqualification. It's an opportunity. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 10, if you will. Number two, prayer is our opportunity to communicate the things on our hearts to the infinite mind of God. What is it that we're talking about when we talk about prayer? Well, let's try and just make it really, really, really simple. Prayer is our opportunity to communicate the things that are on our hearts to the infinite mind of God. Where does that come from? Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, where the Apostle Paul, speaking of his own countrymen, Jews, who had not yet come to believe that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were still looking in other directions. And Paul says in Romans 10 verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire is that they may be saved. I, I want them to be saved. But if you're looking on the screen or you're looking in your Bible, you know there's more to what he says. It's not just his heart's desire. Do you see how he describes for us really what prayer is? My heart's desire and prayer to God for them. What is prayer? Let's just keep it really, really basic. It's our opportunity to communicate the things that are on our hearts to the infinite mind of God. A God who hears. Let's just be doubly intentional about that. To make sure that we hear loud and clear. Psalm 18 verse 6 for instance. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my Voice And my cry to him reached his ears. Did he do exactly what I wanted him to do? In the way that I wanted it? When I wanted it? No. Not always. But notice the assurance. He 
hears. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open toward their cry. Go with me in your New Testaments to Colossians chapter 1. Prayer is our opportunity to communicate the things on our hearts to the infinite mind of God, a God who hears, and it is our opportunity to do that in the name of the one who holds all things together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. By him, by our Lord Jesus the Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And you're telling me I can have his attention? I mean, I don't know who who you've ever had an audience with. Congressmen, congresswomen, mayors, governors, presidents, dictators. How big do we want to go here? And you realize who, who, whomever you ever have an audience with, they can only be in one place at one time. They only live for a very little while. Maybe in their heads they can do a whole lot of things, but in reality they can only change a very small amount of things. They have very, very limited power. They don't know even what they don't know. But here we're talking about praying in the name of the one who literally holds the universe together by the word of his Power And in his name, we are invited to draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every sense, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of you open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 8. Do you ever experience this? Well, I know I ought to pray and there are most certainly things on my heart, but I don't even begin to know how to put those things into words. I, I know what I, I, I should be doing. I, I, I'm invited by God to pray, but how do you even begin to pray for what's going on in Eastern Europe? Do I, I even know what to pray for? Listen to the promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. That the Father hears our prayers and we're invited to pray in the name of His one and only Son. And His own Spirit, in verse 26, helps us in our weaknesses. There are times we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But we carry what is on our hearts. And we're seeking to communicate that to the mind of an almighty God. And the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look down at verse 31 of the same chapter. If all of this is true. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? If we have prayer, who can possibly separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, we can pray. Distress, we can pray. Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sore, we can pray. We may be a living embodiment of these Ancient words, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And yet we are more than conquerors. Even in that, through him who loved us. I am sure, Paul says. And I want to stir that in your heart, if at all possible this evening. So that you can say... I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Could I encourage you to think with me about how prayer helps us reject the, the look-within wisdom of this age. That's the best that Hollywood and Disney have to offer. You know what you ought to do in the midst of a really challenging situation? Look within. There you'll find the answer. There, there you'll find the, the, the courage or, or the insight or, or the motivation. And you know just as surely as I do how well that works. How very well. Otherwise, those resolutions you made on January 1st, you'd still be doing. Prayer helps us acknowledge we don't have all of the answers. It's like King Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament who is faced with a, a great horde of enemy soldiers to the point that they're coming against him and his people. And he's afraid in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. All of these foreign armies. What in the world are we going to do? We're completely outnumbered. He set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He led Israel in saying so very simply, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? We are powerless. The answer isn't to look within. We can't do this on our own. 
We don't have the strength. We, we don't have the, the wit or the, the, the wisdom or, or the insight. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. There are times we don't know what to do. As you open your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 4, here is our opportunity. Here is the Lord's invitation to put our eyes on him. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Apostle Paul writes from a Roman prison. Again, I will say rejoice. What sort of reputation are you building? As a disciple of Jesus, you you, you don't run, you don't sink, you don't lash out, you don't stop. You're known for reasonableness. Here's what. The Lord is at hand. And so you're not going to be anxious about anything, but in everything by Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You're going to let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So could I just really encourage you this evening to take a long and honest look in the mirror. Are you at peace this evening? And and you realize, based on everything that we've looked at this evening, peace is not the absence of that heaviness. There are lots of challenging things going on in lots of different realms of our lives. So I'm not asking if everything is exactly the way you always dreamed and hoped it would be. I'm asking is, are you at peace? The sort of peace that this world doesn't understand. Because it doesn't know your God. But you have that personal relationship that we started this week talking about. Let's end, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, perhaps... If you're not at peace, perhaps prayer is where you discover all over again that his grace is sufficient. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is describing a particularly difficult time in his life. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, heavy, heavy things. But it was in prayer that he tasted all over again that God's grace is enough. So maybe, maybe I haven't had a fresh experience of that recently because I haven't taken Jesus up on his invitation and appreciated the amazing opportunity to pray. If you're like me, it, it, it can be one thing to walk through passages of the Bible like that and to be convicted and and to, to think, well, I, I need to do that more. Could I give you just a, a simple practical tool that we've been using in the life of our church family for nearly the last two years? Maybe you customize it in a different way, however it is that, that, that would work best for you and, and maximize this opportunity. But could I challenge you? On Sundays, to pray for your own heart. You just make that a part of your weekly rhythms before you even walk into this room to pray. God, help me see. You, you are the greatest treasure of all, and I don't always see that. And it's been a long week and the affections of my heart are all over the place. And so God, as I come before you with my brothers and sisters in Christ to worship, would you help me align the affections of my heart with with your will for my life? Pray for your own heart. You spend a, a day with brothers and sisters in Christ and you hear about all sorts of needs. And and so could I encourage you on Mondays to pray for those who are going through a difficult time in the life of of your family. No more of this, well, I hear somebody in the announcements and and I think, well, I I need to remember them or I talk with someone afterwards and I say, well, I'll, I'll pray for you, but then life gets really busy. There are so many needs all around us. Could I challenge you to pray specifically by name for each other? On Tuesdays, pray for our world. Pray for Ukraine and Russia and Washington, D.C. and your own state. And your own community. On Wednesdays, could I really challenge you to pray for your shepherds? This has been a heavy couple of years for those in positions of leadership. The way that I remember on Wednesdays is, well, I'm I'm planning on seeing them tonight. And so that is 
a trigger for me to spend some specific time during the day on Wednesdays to pray for them. Thank God for them. Pray for their endurance. Pray for their wisdom. On Thursday, could I challenge you to pray for your community? From the streets of cities and towns to schools and school boards and teachers and administrators and students and homes, we have all found it much, much, much too easy over the course of the last couple of challenging years to complain, to tell everybody about what we don't like about what's going on in our communities. Have we prayed? As we should. On Fridays, could I challenge you to pray for the future of your church family? We heard Jesus on Tuesday say multiple times the fields are white for harvest, and we need to be praying for laborers to go out into that harvest. Pray for Brandon. Pray for his family. Pray for each other. Pray for those who are growing up in this world. And then on Saturday, could I challenge you to pray for your enemies? As Jesus taught us to pray. And I don't know about you, but if I spent a solid week praying for my own heart and praying for my brothers and sisters who are going through a difficult time and I, I pray for the world and I pray specifically for those in positions of leadership and I pray for specifically needs in my community and I pray for the ch- future of our church family and I, I pray even for those who are determined to, to be my enemy. That will have been time much better spent than staring at a screen. Mindlessly watching as time ticks by. I do that, and at the end of a busy, hectic, maybe heavy week, I'm able to say, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. I'm, I'm a step closer to living that beautiful calling of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I appreciate your very, very kind attention this evening. I have a lot to pray about, and I'm guessing you do too. This evening we're going to sing an invitation song that really encourages you to think about the will of God for you and and your life. And maybe all of this sounds like an amazing opportunity and an invitation, but you don't even have a relationship with your Father in heaven. You you haven't become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is no time like the present. You don't have to wait. You you, you don't have to uh, somehow figure out a, a more opportune time than right now. Ready to confess your your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, to turn away from sin, to be buried with Jesus in baptism, to wash those sins away. You can leave here a child of God right here, right now, this very evening. 
Maybe you are a disciple and life has been particularly heavy in, in ways that even those in this room aren't aware of. We mean it when we say that we are here to pray with you and for you. If you have some sort of a specific need that we can be of help with, this invitation is for you. If you'd come to the front of this room while we stand and, and sing together.